0: Hi, David. So much is going on with volatility in equity markets, geopolitical tensions in the Fed meeting. Let's start with the Fed.
1: Hi, Alex. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the recent equity market volatility, uh, I mean, it's certainly linked to the Fed and to shifting investor expectations for policy tightening. It was interesting that you know, US equities you know, actually rallied a little bit into the uh, Fed meeting Um, But I think hopes that recent market volatility would somehow render the Fed more uh, dovish were disabused and and equities sold off and Treasury yields rose, especially on the two year note during and after the um, press conference by Fed Chair Powell. And, and, And Powell kept all the options open for a faster pace of monetary tightening, which is why I think it gave it a kind of hawkish um twist if you like um, so he confirmed that each of the uh, seven remaining fomc meetings this year is is live um starting with a, a first hike pretty much confirmed now for the meeting in in march um, and he didn't rule out the possibility of you know a 50 rather than 25 basis point um rises in policy rates um you know, Chair Powell also emphasised that the U.S. economy is in a very different place than when the Fed last started a rate hiking cycle in, you know, late 2015 and and, and then through um, 17 and 18. Um, you know, the, the labour market he described as very very strong, uh, very tight. inflation is of course much higher than it was uh, then, uh, with uh, risk to the um, upside, and 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 I think the Fed is getting worried about an incipient wage price spiral with the unemployment rate now below 4%. uh, Wage growth is uh, picking up. So, you know, I I think the Fed and Chair Powell issued a wake-up call to investors. Um, You know, interest rates are set to rise further and faster than I think many had expected. And I think the Fed's going to shrink its balance sheet earlier and at a more rapid pace than it did in the last cycle.
0: The Fed gave away more information about how it will reduce its balance sheet. You recently published analysis on the implications of QT.
1: Yeah, so uh, the, the the Fed actually released uh, what they describe as high level principles for reducing the size of its balance sheet at the uh, at its latest uh, meeting, and and these were pretty much in line with what is assumed in our note. Um, so it's basically going to involve monthly caps on reinvestment of maturing treasury and mortgage-backed securities on the Fed balance sheet. We expect the Fed to start to shrink its balance sheet, quantitative tidying, um, in July. Um, I think that would be consistent with Powell's comment that it would start after the first few rate hikes. And on our projections, um, we think the balance sheet will shrink you know, between $750 to $800 billion this year um and at least a further 1.8 trillion dollars through to the end of 2024. Now you know quantitative easing you know buying assets expanding the balance sheet was done to you know support uh an easing in monetary and financial conditions and I think you know quantitative tightening um I think will have the opposite effect though, though I don't think of as you know greater magnitude Nonetheless, based on Fed research, applying those to our projections for for a quantitative tightening set out in our comment, that would imply, a, you know, something like, um, you know, balance sheet runoff would add about sort of 10 to 20 basis points of um, rate hikes equivalent in terms of policy tightening this year and cumulatively about 80 basis points of Fed hike tightening by the end of um, 2024. So certainly, I think balance sheet reduction is something that is going to, you know, complement um, the, you know, tightening in policy that's coming from increases in uh, policy rates. Even though policy rates will remain the kind of primary uh, tool of the Fed.
0: How would you sum up the implications for markets of the Fed meeting and your expectations for rate hikes and quantitative tightening?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, the the Fed is behind the inflation curve. Um, It's determined to catch up, uh, firstly, by quickly unwinding, you know, what was a huge monetary stimulus it provided in response to the pandemic. Um, As you know, Alex, you know, we've consistently argued that high inflation in the US is not only due to transitory COVID-related supply shortages, but also an economy, economy operating above Full capacity. Um, essentially, you know, demand is exceeding supply and is continuing to grow above trend. And I think, you know, the market is, is, is waking up to this reality. And, you know, following the Fed meeting, we're now priced for you know, four to almost five uh, 25 basis point rate hikes this year, which I think is broadly um, about right. Um, I still think there is a disconnect between expectations for Fed tightening and what are still, you know, pretty extraordinarily easy financial conditions. And and that implies that risk assets, in my view, have yet to fully price higher nominal and real rates, as well as less uh, Fed liquidity. So I think investors are going to have to be nimble in navigating market volatility. I think seek out Opportunities and assets and markets where you know there's more risk premium, such as selectively in emerging markets, and where there's less sensitivity to higher US rates. Um, in terms of fixed income, you know higher rates, quantitative tightening, typically associated with a flattening of the yield curve. Um, I think with growth still pretty solid, very low default risk. I think it continues to make sense to favour high yield over more rate sensitive uh, investment investment grade credit, you know, but I I think there's also some attractive carry to be had from higher rated floating rate securitized credit. And uh, I mean, the Fed faces a bigger inflation problem than in other major economies, you know, except for the UK. And so I think that implies, you know, this monetary divergence, and, and that should support, I think, a stronger US dollar as well.
0: What about the volatility in equity markets over the last few weeks?
1: Yeah, I mean it has been you know pretty dramatic start to the year, and we, we've seen some pretty uh, extraordinary intraday moves in U.S. equity markets, in particular. Um, you know, the Nasdaq has entered correction territory; It's down more than fifteen uh, percent from its peak late last year. Um, the S and P five hundred is very close to entering uh, correction territory. Uh, global equity markets, broadly speaking, have followed the U.S. lead, though by less uh european stocks are down sort of mid single digits or so from 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 their peak and em equities have actually held up relatively well so far this year i think that's been due to policy easing in china and and also less stretched valuations in, in part because of prior underperformance. Um, uh, I mean, cryptocurrencies have been interesting, very highly correlated at the moment to US and especially tech stocks. Um, Bitcoin is down 45% from its November peak, which is um, not good news actually for El Salvador. There's been buying Bitcoin since it made the cryptocurrency legal tender last September. I, I, I mean, I think that the, the message from the what we're seeing in, in 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 markets of late, and from the Fed meeting, is that You know, the Fed's not going to be swayed in its determination to drain the proverbial monetary punch bowl. I'm not yet convinced that all investors have heard the alarm and fully appreciate just how deeply out of the money the Fed put is. So I think we're going to see um, some some, you know, continued and further episodes of uh, volatility over the near term.
0: Does that mean you're expecting a broader and more sustained correction in risk assets?
1: The short answer to that question is, is, is no. If you know, Growth and long-duration stocks most sensitive to rising US real rates have led the equity sell-off, while value and cyclical assets have been hit less hard. Um, credit's not been immune to the equity sell-off, but but the spread widening has been relatively modest and, and actually less than the sort of historical relationship or beta to um, uh, moves in uh, equity markets. Uh, industrial metals, oil, as we've been discussing, EM assets have also held up relatively well. So I think this pattern of relative asset performance is consistent with the notion that equity markets are belatedly reacting to the reality of Fed rate hikes and the removal of the, you know, QE comfort blanket, rather than expectations for meaningfully lower growth. And, you know, it's growth ultimately trumps rising rates, I think, for for risk. But as we highlighted in our 2022 outlook, you know, the combination of, you know, stretched valuations certainly across some risk assets and, you know, rising rates means that you know returns are going to be you know meaningfully lower um, than they have been for 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 a number of years, as, as well as being more volatile.
0: And finally, today, David, should investors be worried by the prospect of conflict between Russia and the Ukraine?
1: Investors have been primarily focused on the volatility in equity markets. I've been talking about, and, and of course, the Fed. But, but you're right, Alex. I mean, the, the sort of drumbeat of you know war between Russia and Ukraine has been. Um, getting louder. Our EMEA strategist, um, Tim Ash, has, has been warning of the potential for conflict um, since last year. And, and Tim's non-consensus view is that a Russian military attack on Ukraine is, is likely. Um, it's is, is the base case. Um, his rationale is that President Putin wants to bring Ukraine firmly into Russia's sphere of influence. Um, since the annexation of Crimea, by Russia in 2014 and the imposition of Western sanctions, Russia's reliance on foreign capital has fallen, but not Europe's reliance on Russian energy. So President Putin has got considerable leverage over Europe because of that reliance on Russian um, energy, which he knows will decline over time as the EU decarbonizes. You know, the the U.S. president is currently, you know, quite politically weak. So, you know, there's a window of opportunity um, from uh, Putin's perspective to bring Ukraine back under uh, Russia's uh, control. Um, Undoubtedly, a Russian invasion of Ukraine would be a major risk off event for global financial markets. Um, But I think, uh, you know, likely a short lived one. Um, You know, Fortress Russia is... Is, is basically semi-detached from international capital markets. I think the systemic financial risk to financial markets from a, from a rupture with Russia is, is, is very low. I think the bigger macro impact would be if Russia were to restrict gas supply to Europe in response to additional sanctions. Um, you know, As we've discussed, European gas prices are very high. The oil price would you know, spike higher. Um, that would be a stagflationary shock to Europe and the global economy. Um, but I, I don't think it's going to be big or persistent enough to derail the global economy. But but clearly, you know, this, these kinds of events would add to uncertainty, add to risk aversion, you know, add to fears that other geopolitical tensions around the world could become uh, hot. So, so to answer your question, Alex, I mean, yes, I mean, investors should be worried about tensions between uh, Ukraine and and, and Russia and between Russia and the the West, Um, they should, I think, consider how to kind of mitigate the potential um, impact on their investments. But I I don't think it calls for kind of fundamental reset of uh, portfolios.
0: Thanks for your time today, David.
1: Thanks, Alex. This podcast is issued
2: by BlueBay or one of its entities. Please check the entire BlueBay disclaimer at the following website, www.bluebay.com forward slash podcast disclaimer. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only. It is not intended, nor should it be intended as investment tax or legal advice. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell, nor is it a solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction. This podcast is not available for distribution in any jurisdiction where such distribution would be prohibited and is not aimed at such persons in those jurisdictions. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast, and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. Blue Bay is under no obligation to update the information in the podcast to reflect changes after the publication date. The information contained in this podcast is believed to be reliable, but Blue Bay cannot and does not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness or completeness. The document is intended only for professional clients and eligible counterparties, as defined by the Markets and Financial Instruments Directive, or in the US by Accredited Investors, as defined by the Securities Act of 1933, or Qualified purchasers, as defined in the Investment Company Act of 1940 as applicable and should not be relied upon by any other category of consumer. No part of this document may be reproduced, redistributed or passed on directly or indirectly to any other person, published in whole or in part for any purpose in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay or one of its entities. Copyright 2021.